and welcome to the latest edition of Seattle Nice. I'm David Hyde with Erica Barnett, Sandeep Kaushik, and we've got not just one topic this week or two topics, it's three super hot topics. Issue number three. We'll start with issue number three. Seattle City Council President Sarah Nelson being called the C-word on social media, by which I mean, of course, conservative. Issue number two, a story about Republican Seattle City Attorney Ann Davison and a mistrial. We're going to tell you more about that in just a minute. But first, the number one issue this week, a raid on two Seattle gay bars by something called the Joint Enforcement Team that includes personnel from the State Liquor and Cannabis Board, Seattle Fire and Police. And we're starting there this week, I think. You two jump in and tell me that I'm wrong. Just because this is so strange. Like, it's a headline ripped from the 1970s or 80s or something like that. 90s, maybe 90s, Seattle 90s. Erica, what's going on? What happened? Well, basically, I mean, and I and I will I will say also 2008 when we wrote about a similar uh, sting in the Stranger when I was there. So basically, uh, the cops and the liquor control board go out periodically as part of this task force and sort of check out what's going on at various bars and clubs, issue citations for things like over service or you know there's there was a lot uh, in this latest sting I believe for you know unlicensed vendors things like that. But what's catching people's attention with good reason and was covered in The Stranger is uh, that two bars, the Cuff and the Eagle, were cited for lewd conduct because there was, quote unquote, nudity. It, apparently, some guys were wearing jock straps. Nipples could be seen. You know, I mean, it was considered and seen, I think, rightly so as uh you know, targeting a community that, you know, has been targeted many times in the past by uh, by these same types of raids. But it, it does just feel like in 2024, I mean, it's horrible anytime, but in 2024, I think that there's just like really broad consensus now that what consenting adults do in a bar that is or a club that is like, you know, where, where that type of activity occurs or, or, you know, whether it's nudity or whether it's, you know, people ha- having sex there. I mean, honestly, who cares? <laughs> and I think I, I think that when I say who cares, I, I, I represent the public. Sandeep, we need you to defend the joint enforcement team on this episode. <laughs> I'm not I'm not <laughs> defending the, 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 the joint enforcement team on this one. I, I, I mean, there's been a question about whether it was a raid or, as Erica says, it was a kind of routine inspection. But nonetheless, I mean, this was a situation where you have like a, a, a group of eight or nine, ten cops and liquor control board enforcement officers and others coming into these gay bars and then taking like shining flashlights and taking photos of people because they're in jock straps or whatever, like some bartender has an exposed male nipple, God forbid, like, you know, and, and um, that does seem incredibly bizarre that that's happening in 2024. I think Erica's absolutely right about that. And it, it, what it really reminds me of is what Seattle was kind of like back when I moved here 20 plus years ago in like 2002, when Seattle really was that that kind of old, old, old Seattle kind of provincial pinch face prudery was like sort of the the, <laughs> the the zeitgeist of the day. It really was Mayberry with high rises. And the arguments we were having were things like, oh, my God, the teen dance ordinance. God, God forbid the teens. The four foot rolling strip, strip oh, Yeah, the, 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 the one year strip club moratorium that for some reason had gone on for 17 years, right, to get renewed every year or the four foot rule or no Sunday liquor sales because – 
you know, God forbid, what if somebody shows up at church drunk, like, you know, so we can't sell liquor on, so, you know, and that was Seattle, like, like, you know, 20 years ago. And all of a sudden, I think there was some kind of like cultural time warp at LCB or SBD or wherever it was. And these guys go in there and start, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, like acting like gay guys hanging out in a gay bar doing gay guy, gay bar stuff is somehow like lewd conduct and we've got to like make a big stink about it, which obviously has backfired and created a huge uproar as well it should and I think embarrassing and I think there's talk that LCB is now going to pull out of this joint task force and yeah. The other thing I will say about this is I heard about this from our mutual former boss, Dan Savage, who pinged me Last Sunday, right, he was the editor of The Stranger, and Eric and I were, were, were there together, and, and Dan was like, this crazy raid, and how, how is it that we're down, like, hundreds of cops, and yet they have, like, plenty of manpower for teams to go out to, like, raid gay bars? And, you know, I think that's well, and, a fair question. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, well, first of all, I mean, the fact that the police are involved in this, I mean, absolutely, that was the point I was going to make is they're they're constantly saying that they can't respond to priority one 911 calls in time, but they do have time to do this kind of stuff. And I think that, you know, if your concern is with enforcement of other laws, like, you know, over service and DUI, like there are ways to go after those things without this this stupid lewd law, you know, which, which shouldn't be a law anyway. I'm going to be writing next week about a case that involves some stings that the uh, police have been continuing to do up on Aurora. And I mean, I don't know the exact price tag on those, but, you know, they're prostitution stings where they go up and they have a cop, you know, trained uh, to pretend to be a sex worker and stand out there and, you know, try to elicit customers and, you know, and then there's like teams that are, you know, surrounding them and watching and, you know, oh no, it's like a dozen cops all to nail like, you know, potentially one guy on a misdemeanor charge that, you know, has a fine of up to a thousand bucks. I think that it's just a real, another example of real misplaced priorities. Issue two, uh, actually this was issue three, but let's make it issue two. Seattle City Council President Sarah Nelson pilloried on social media, it gets us into one of our favorite topics, which is definitions and words and that sort of thing and and actual policy. Erica, tell us a little bit, please, about, well, what Sarah Nelson said and what she's being called and why. Yeah, well, I will tell you what the stranger said, Sarah Nelson said. I mean, they they quoted the little tiny snippet that they pulled out of her statement correctly. She said that she has strong concern about a pair of bills that would, uh, among other things, change our elections to even-year elections. Local elections are currently in odd years. And um, and she made a comment about uh, voter turnout does not necessarily increase um, awareness of local elections. Greater turnout doesn't necessarily mean a better informed public. Yep. So there's a story in The Stranger about this saying that she opposes voter turnout and she wants, you know, to suppress voting and keep people from voting. And this is all based in efforts to suppress, you know, people of color and women from voting in the past. And it's uh, it's a voter suppression effort. And she wants that because she is conservative. You know, I mean, the, the, the stranger like literally went on. I mean, you know, like what's next? Literacy tests, you know, and it's a, this very long article extrapolating from this quote. So the rest of the quote was actually about an argument against even your elections that is quite common that Sandeep has made, which is that people are not going to pay as much attention to the bottom of the ballot. So what she continued to say 
was that the issues that affect people's lives are things that they deal with at the dais. And she's concerned, and now I'm quoting, that there will not be time or there will not be interest in hosting all the forums that my colleagues attended last year. Um, she expressed concern about what the media will be interested in with so many other, you know, more high-profile races up the ballot. And she said uh, that that the interest in local candidates and down-ballot participation hasn't really been examined. And that is, again, like, that's that's kind of the, the, the Sandeep Kaushik argument in a nutshell, <laughs> you know, it, if people have these giant ballots where it's like the president, Congress, you know, all the state elections, all the legislative elections, and then you finally get down to these down ballot races, it's going to be hard, according to this argument, to learn enough about them to even get all the way down the ballot to vote for them. And she articulated it clumsily, but at no point, and I watched this meeting at the time, which was about a week and a half ago, at no point did she suggest in any way, other than that little snippet taken completely out of context, that she supported voter suppression. I mean, it's it's like a, a ludicrous, in my opinion, <laughs> interpretation of what she was saying. So uh, it went viral on social media and, you know, the Washington State Democrats issued a statement about it and, you know, and it turned into this whole thing. But of course, it's like, for me as a reporter, I'm like, go and watch the clip. It's like a minute long and decide for yourself. Maybe I'm wrong. But, uh, you know, again, I was at the meeting. I've watched it several times since and I don't think that's what she was saying. Is this going to be one of those episodes where we end up with a rare Another moment of agreement here, Sandeep Kashik? I was going to say, like, uh, Erica's right. I have made this argument before, but of course, everybody knows that I'm a right-wing Republican and, you know, closet MAGA freak too, right? I mean, like Erica, uh, I went and I I pulled the quote and I listened to the quote. And I got to say, and I, I, I mean, I think we should just say it straight up. Like, I think the 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 stranger did a really bogus hit piece on Sarah Sarah Nelson that completely mischaracterizes the the as Erica says the argument she was trying to make she wasn't making an argument for voter suppression there is a legitimate debate to be had about whether we should have uh, municipal elections in even years and there are arguments on the side of of saying hey if we do them in even years turnout's going to be higher there's greater public participation that's a good thing that's um, justification enough to make this switch but there is also a legitimate and plausible counter argument to that. There are actually several counter arguments, but but the main one, the one that Sarah was making, and and as Erica said, one I have made in the past, and I think is absolutely true, is that there is a real danger that these lower down ballot races, these small, you know, more local municipal elections, will get lost in the shuffle. Right now, in odd years, when there's a mayor's race, or just last year when we had these city council races, there's an enormous amount of media attention, public attention. Sarah's right that there's all these forums and opportunities for the public to hear about local government and how it's working and to get educated and make decisions about who they want to support. And when you do that in a year where you've got a presidential election and a really high-profile gubernatorial election where both sides are spending millions of dollars, where you've got a slew of legislative races, some of them very, very hotly contested. I think there is a real risk that these these races will kind of fall off the radar screen. They won't get a whole lot of attention. The people who have, you know, kind of voters who are busy and have limited attention spans aren't going to focus nearly as much on these races because they've got other thing, other races that they're going to pay attention to. And so, so Erica, 
Do you and Sandeep then agree with Socrates here, who basically said only educated people should be able to vote? I'm gonna I'm gonna play the stranger role. You know, it's kind of that's what you're implying here. We, you know, the better educated, better informed public shall vote. Those misinformed miscreants should be kept away. I mean, I'm being a little bit funny here, but you know, increasing turnout is an end in itself. Sandeep Kaushik made the argument very nicely. Well, I, I mean, I feel like we've had a couple of episodes about this already, so I don't want to belabor the the actual underlying argument that, you know, we've we've had many times before and will again, but I mean, uh, you know, why is it better to have better more turnout? Um, I mean, because that is democracy and, you know, I don't think you have to be like tremendously well-educated even on local issues to cast a ballot with some, you know, understanding of which candidate of the two you prefer. Right. I mean, you can you don't need to know every single person's positions on, you know, how they would fill potholes or, you know, what type of progressive tax they support. If any, you just need to know, do they support progressive taxes? Do they support the other things that I support? You know, and that's that's really enough. Like, I I don't think that voting is, uh, you know, it is a consequential act, but it's not one for which you have to or should have to go to school and spend hours and hours getting educated. But I don't think anybody in the modern world is actually making or at least. uh, Well, I certainly in the modern world, people are making that argument. Absolutely. I think in this incident, no one is making that argument. Sarah Nelson is not making that argument. She's not supporting literacy tests. And and I think like, I, you know, I wanted to just just say that like one of the things that, that The Stranger and, and a lot of folks on the left have cited, I think accurately so, is that there was Shama Sawant derangement. Um, people just went crazy, like couldn't think about anything else. Like if Shama Sawant's name was mentioned or a policy of hers was put in front of them. And, you know, and just like the existence of Shama Sawant just outraged some people and her tactics, right? And so they couldn't think clearly about her. And I would submit that there is also Sarah Nelson derangement happening. You know, I think there are very good reasons. There are a lot of things that Sarah... Nelson supports that I do not support and things that she opposes that I support. And, uh, you know, we just I, I don't agree with her on a lot of policy stuff personally. But I think we have to have a little bit of, you know, a sanity check here and sort of say, like, well, what are some of the things that we can legitimately criticize her for? You know, if your job at The Stranger is to be a critic and just to constantly rail on Sarah Nelson and everybody else on the council, like, like, I just there's going to be plenty of stuff in the real world, I, and you know, I, and I, I just think like if this is the kind of coverage we're going to get, it's going to be Sarah Nelson derangement for years, and after Sarah, you know, it's going to be Bob Kettle derangement or whatever. And I'm all for criticizing people who have terrible policies or bad ideas, but I'm I'm more interested in policies and ideas than like gotchas based on a, a snippet of a sentence taken out of, you know, a minute or two long quote. What we've seen in the last couple of weeks, I'm really fearful that the collectively the the, the Seattle left is gonna have an aneurysm in the next six months, like the level of freak out over every little thing. Some of them completely manufactured, like this Sarah Nelson controversy, is just spectacularly like kind of off the charts. Are they going to be able to sustain this level of complete, you know, psychic meltdown for for how long without doing damage to themselves? I don't know. I liked Erica's way of framing it because there was demonization of someone. Whatever you thought of her, there was... I love it. Uh, Savant uh, derangement syndrome. That's just so, that's such a funny way of putting it. And, and you, you know, you get this. I mean, it is politics, right? You demonize Nancy Pelosi, you demonize, you know, the other side or whatever. But 
like Erica says, demonize, fine, but do it like based on evidence. There's plenty of evidence. Like I don't even, yeah, I mean, I don't don't think you should demonize anybody. I think you should say this policy is shitty and I don't like it and here's why. I mean, the left, to Erica's point, if the left wants to pick a fight with Sarah Nelson, they have plenty of ammo, right? I mean, you know, she she does take positions that run very counter to a lot of the positions of the, of kind of left progressives in Seattle and those are legitimate topics for them to have a bone to pick with her about. Like, this was just bullshit. As a member of the progressive left, I look forward to debating actual policy with you, but I'm, I'm glad that we agree on this one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Issue three, our final issue. Sandeep Kashik, Seattle City Attorney Ann Davison. Story in The Stranger. The headline, something like, a mistrial for the Stop the Sweeps protester who was charged with standing in an RV for 12 minutes. What's this story all about? Why did you want to talk about it? Well, I, I'm so again, we're, we're going after the account that was published in, in The Stranger here. So my caveat here is I'm going off of this account, which was that there was a typical kind of encampment cleanup, including the cop showing up and telling a, a woman who owned an RV that she had to move the RV. Uh, she asked for more time, saying she she had a flat tire and, you know, someone was going to bring her a tire and she just needed a few minutes. They initially said they were going to give her a few minutes, but then, you know, some more aggressive cop came along and said, time's up or essentially, and you've got to take all your stuff out of your RV and we're towing it. And rather than let it be towed, uh, one of the Stop the Sweeps protesters climbed up on top of the RV as some cops tried to keep him from doing so. He kind of slithered out of their grasp and stood on top of the RV for 12 minutes, pissing off the cops below, you know, as they made efforts to dislodge him. And as a result of this, he was prosecuted and the city attorney's office brought him to trial in municipal court. And uh, it was a three-day trial. And at the, at the end of it, he was not acquitted, but it was a mistrial. There were, there were six jurors and apparently four of them wanted to acquit and two of them wanted to convict. Uh, that's what the stranger account says of what happened. And the, and the argument, I think, from the stranger and the left is that this was an abuse of, of resources. And really, in a, they come out flat out, make the claim that this is really an attack on the homeless and, you know, the evil city attorney who hates the poor and the marginalized was was misusing city and excessive use of city resources to make a right wing political point and to punish the, the these heroes who are trying to stand up for the homeless. That was the the argument. Right. And and I should add that that um, once the mistrial happened within about a day, the city attorney announced that. Uh, she would not be be uh, bringing the case again, so they dropped the charge. I mean, it is it is true that a three day trial for a misdemeanor charge is uh, you know almost inevitably <laughs> like excessive. You know, in this case, I mean, it is hard to look at the facts of the case and not go, well, why did Ann Davison care so much about this? And I don't think you have to use words like evil Republican city attorney to to question, you know, whether this was, in fact, a, you know, a weird political stunt. And, you know, I would just point out, as you were talking about this guy, as you put it, slithering out of the cop's hand, Sandeep, um, <laughs> you know, it, it occurred to me that, gosh, you know, we have we have a history of protesters sort of standing their ground and refusing to move. And when it's for a tree, 
like the tree that people climbed and were living in. And, you know, they, they gave themselves cute names and were up in this tree in northeast Seattle trying to prevent a development from, from happening for days and days and days on end. We think it's cute. The media portrays it very sympathetically. And, you know, everybody goes, hooray, when the tree is saved as a result of these um, these protesters standing firm. And, and here's a guy who's on uh, an RV for 12 minutes. And, you know, that suddenly is a matter of such great city concern that it's worth you know, impaneling a jury and bringing them to municipal court and, you know, taking the city attorney's time in order to prosecute this guy. And I, I think it's I think it's telling that this is the priority for the city attorney, given that one of the constant complaints from the city attorney's office is, you know, they can't get to their entire caseload and their backlog because they can't hire enough attorneys. And, you know, they got a 20 percent raise for all the prosecutors last year, might have been in 2022. But um this is just kind of this constant complaint along the lines of the cops complaint. And, you know, I think it is telling that this is what they uh, want to use that extra money and those extra prosecutors on as pursuing cases like this. I, I would really like to be in a position where I'm totally disagreeing with Eric on this one. But I actually I kind of can't. If the circumstances of this case are as portrayed and again, we're I'm, I'm getting this out of the strangers characterization of it, so which I don't quite completely trust here um uh but assuming those the the facts as presented are 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 those then i do have to say that i agree it's weird that they made a decision to 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 prosecute this case and um uh and i'm kind of surprised that that was the decision that they made and i'm not all that surprised that it ended in a mistrial um so I'm look. I'm pretty surprised that they brought this case. I will say there is a broader contextual thing here, and I will repeat a thing that you've heard me say before, and I think is th- this case sort of highlights, which is that you know it's not 2020 in Seattle anymore, right? And I do think there has been a a a, a change in public mood about some of these disruptive protests. We just saw that that protests that shut down I five a couple of weeks ago for like five hours, right? And um, and the Washington State Patrol kind of let it play out, and I five was shut down for a long time, uh, and there was a lot of blowback that that the State Patrol got for not intervening and reopening I five and ending the protests and arresting people. They didn't do that, and so I do think that um, the vibe's different right now, and maybe that's what sort of well, led- clearly not that different. Well, well, because it's it was a mistrial. To, maybe the city attorney's making the decision, the, the decision to prosecute. Like I said, I don't think this, in if we understand the facts of the case, was a particularly good decision. You're right. I don't think the circumstances of the case really made it seem like this was all that terrible behavior and you know blah blah blah. Like, and so I think a jury of Seattleites, more than a majority of them, were like, this seems like. Penny anti ticky tack bullshit, and I'm not going to vote to convict, right? Like, um, and and I, I and I don't really disagree with that if if this if the facts are as alleged. I well, I I just you know I I just have to point out that Sandeep is evading the Luma issue. Why weren't those people arrested? You have Luma derangement syndrome. I was going to accuse you of having Luma. But they were the, those protesters. They're they're sitting up in a tree. I mean, one of the one of the justifications, uh, according to the story, was that you know this that this protester was endangering himself because the the RV was unstable. And here are like protesters who are living in a fucking tree, and everybody is just cheering them on and doing these these stories about Droplet and Droplet Two and their adorable, effective, you know. Uh, 
protest for this for this fucking tree. I'm sorry, but yes, it, yes. these are not no, proportional I'm, I'm, things. I'm, I'm, I, I, I think I, I'm going to come right out and say it. People are more important than trees, and this person was trying to protect somebody's home. The death penalty for hippies and trees. I, I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll leave it there. That's it. Another edition of Seattle Nice. I'm David Hyde. She's Erica C. Barnett. He's Sandeep Kaushik. Our editor is Quinn Waller. And this podcast was brought to you by you, basically. You people out there who have been contributing, thanks to the folks who have signed up. We have more than 100 members now of this podcast. It's like an army of Seattle Nice um, listeners. You know, we would fill a small portion of a football stadium at this point. So, you know, let's let's keep it going. We could... um, we could continue to grow the the tiny audience for this podcast that supports it. it you know, they say in public radio, it's like one in 10 people support it. I, I think that we're surpassing that. We're punching above our weight. Um, so thanks to everybody who's doing that. If you want to help out, go to patreon.com slash Seattle Nice. And to everybody, thank you so much for listening.